Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. And in this chapter, starting in verse 11, we see these words, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. So there's a curiosity there. While they're listening to what? Right? Well, the what is in the verses right before that. Where is Jesus at here? You were in Luke 19, and verse 11 says, While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. So this is the parable of the ten minas, very similar to the ten talents, but it's a different parable altogether. What, where was he at when he's telling this parable? He's in Jericho. Where? At Zacchaeus' house. Yeah, this is a story that was told in this wealthy man's house. Interesting that he would choose a story about finance and money while he's at a wealthy man's house. huh? Zacchaeus, of course, looked wealthy on the outside, but to himself he was just an empty shell of a man. From other, all outward appearance, he was educated and powerful, but to himself he was ignorant, ignorant of the most essential knowledge, how to be happy. To everybody else, they looked at Zacchaeus and they saw a secure, content, shrewd, powerful man, but really he was weak, restless, helpless, and discontent. And now Jesus comes to his house and there's a transformation. And we see that transformation in the last, last few verses there preceding the parable. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. What a moment of joy that would have been. And so it was in this atmosphere of laughter and hilarity as Zacchaeus is pulling money out of uh, you know different places he'd hidden it under his mattress and under the rug and behind pictures and people are joyous as he's passing out money and you know it was it there is a certain happiness about repentance my mom always would share about me as a little boy when as a three-year-old I had refused to pick up my blocks that were on the floor. And my mom said, Bayard, you must pick up the blocks. And I, would, I was having a temper tantrum, and I kicked and I screamed, and she wouldn't let me go. And she testifies that we sat there for about two hours, and I would continually take my mom's hand, put her hand over the blocks, and I wanted her as a three-year-old to demand my will that she would put the blocks away and she would take my hand and demand that I did it. And it was just a real tussle of the power of the strong-willed child. Well, at the end of that two and a half hours, finally, I repented and I put the blocks in the thing. And she says at the end of that moment, there was just this hilarity and I began to roll around on the ground. I was so happy because I had obeyed i had done the right thing I, I my will had been turned over to the one who it should be submitted to and you know we see this when people confess and repent of their sins there's just certain happiness that comes when they do the right thing 
And I can only imagine that's exactly what happened in Zacchaeus' home at that night. He just must have been like a drunk man as he's, he's uh, giving back all that he had stolen. And then Jesus tells this unique parable here, in starting in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Verse 13. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Now, a mina is a piece of silver. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now the uh, ESV actually says engage in business until I come back. I think the King James says occupy. But if you can think about this, do business. Do business is really what he's saying. He's saying put this money into an investment, right? I don't want to come back and have the money just be what it is. Verse 14, But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to be our king. He has made... He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he went for the servants. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Or the ESV says, by what they had gotten by doing what? Business. Right. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Verse 23, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to the one standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Now this always seemed a little confusing. Why would you give it to the guy who has ten instead of giving to the guy who has five or two, you know? Why? Because he was interested in business. Give it to the best guy. I want more money, right? Verse 26, he replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. What's this parable about? NIV, put this money to work. King James, occupy until I come. Occupy Wall Street, right? ESV, engage in business until I come. New King James Version, do business. What is this all about? What kind of business is this? Why was Jesus talking about this money? First question, who is the king? God? Okay. What's that? 
business, winning souls. Very, very good. Yeah? So the man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Who is this king? It's Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. So Jesus is the king, and now he is giving out some silver, and the silver is supposed to multiply, right? He wants more of the substance that he gave, the minas, the silver, when he comes back than what he gave in the first place. What is that silver? The gospel. Beautiful. Peter and John were headed to the temple. Saw a lame man there on the steps of the gate. Beautiful. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Really the name of Jesus is the Gospel, isn't it? In the name of Jesus, miracles happen. I was working with this demon-possessed man. I, I told you a piece of his story this morning. When I'm talking to that demon, he began to squirm just at the name of Jesus. He began to howl and shout. They can't stand the name of Jesus. I was in Nepal a few years ago. Met a man. I, I was teaching a seminar for Bible workers. They'd come gospel outreach workers. Some of them walked five days on mountain roads to come to this seminar. I was teaching them practical things just of how to hold a communion service and these kind of, of uh, things. One man there, he impressed me. He, he seemed to be especially spiritual, but when I was doing teaching, he would fall asleep. And I was so frustrated with this, and so I went up and began talking with him. And I don't know exactly if I was the cause of his sleep. I hope not. But uh, he was a tailor. And he began to tell me his testimony through a translator, and this is his story. Now we're talking about the name of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, the silver that has been given to each of the workers. This man was a, a Hindu, and he went down uh, one day to visit some family in deeper India by bus. He went down there, and when he met his brother, his brother had become a Christian. So each day they would open the Bible and read the stories of Jesus. First time this man, the man who was attending my seminar, his name was Krishna. First time Krishna had ever heard about Jesus, introduced to Jesus. He hears that Jesus heals a blind man. Next day heals a leper. Next day heals a deaf person. He's intrigued with the storyline, but that's all he really knows. Then vacation's over, has to get back on a bus, and so they take him to the bus station, and there his little niece, five-year-old, six-year-old niece comes and says, Uncle Krishna, I will pray for you before you get on the bus. She prays, Dear Jesus, keep my Uncle Krishna safe. In your name, Jesus' name, Amen. Uncle Krishna gets on the bus. They're heading back to Nepal on the winding roads. Some of the drop-offs, 1,500 feet deep, and suddenly another bus comes around the corner. Honk, honk! His bus, Krishna's bus, careens off of the side of a cliff, bounces down, 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 bursts into flames, and Krishna wakes up, and everybody around there is dead. He's covered in blood. It's the blood of other people. He finds body parts everywhere, and he's laying there. He starts to feel himself, 
and he realizes he's totally intact. And there's nothing remaining except for him. And just at that moment, the voice comes back to his ears. In the name of Jesus, keep my uncle Krishna safe. And he looks up into the sky and he says, Jesus, who are you? What kind of God are you? A man who believed in a millions of gods, you know. And so he goes, he finds his way back up to civilization, gets on, on a trail back up to his village, and finally he gets to his, his place, and he just thinks about all of what has happened. On his little tailor shop there, he had named it Krishna Taylor, and he decides, how can I honor this God, Jesus, who has saved my life? And he decides, I will rename my tailor shop Jesus Taylor because that's how you honor a God, right? So he puts up Jesus Taylor. And then he thinks, nobody's going to know who Jesus is. I, they, they never heard of that God. So he puts the only thing he knows about the God that he has now found, Jesus Taylor, sick people made well. Now I'm talking to this guy as I'm talking to you today. Hearing this firsthand, he said that people came to his tailor shop to get their shirts fixed. And they said, Krishna, what's this about your tailor shop has changed names? And he began to tell the story of his miracle. In our testimony, are uh, talking about Jesus simply. What did we say? Find the moment that is most precious to you, right? He gave the story of the miracle that God had done for him. Jesus had done for him. People were listening, convinced, convicted. Jesus, sick people made well. They're like, well, I have a broken arm. Could He heal that? Well, I have deaf, a deaf ear. Could He heal that? And so Krishna, in faith, began to tell me about Him healing one person after another by laying hands on them in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you heal this man? And he said pretty soon people started coming to his tailor shop because so many people were being healed, he didn't even have time to sew clothes anymore. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. We love Jesus. And He loves us. He's given us the silver. Put it to work. Do business until I come. He's not interested in coming back and finding no business being done. He, he wants an, an active multiplication. He's, he's interested in investment. Is Jesus interested in evangelism? Is it no wonder that when Jesus first met the disciples, what did He tell them? I will make you fishers of men. That was just the whole concept that he was interested in. I will make you fishers of men. To make is an active concept. He's going to send His Holy Spirit and shape you. You've come today to be somehow molded. Hey, that's what Jesus is interested in. To shape you to become fishers of men. That's His passion. Jesus is interested in faithfulness. Faithfulness that will end up yielding fruit. 
Listen to this Ellen White quote. He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows, he who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. Now you've got it, friends. You're going home. You give out, you give out. And what are you going to get? The whole heavenly treasure is going to come in to you to give out. It's going to just, you're going to grow and grow and grow because Jesus is interested in making you into fishers of men. The more one tries to explain the word to others with a love for souls, the plainer it will become to himself. Men. I write this. Did Peter ever think he would be made into a man who would raise Tabitha from the dead? This foul-mouthed fisherman, man who, who swore at every other word, and now is going to be used to raise a woman from the dead? Did this fisherman think his handwritten words would be carried into the hands of billions of people around the world? Peter writes the letter of 1 Peter and it's studied by doctorate degreed men. What can Jesus make of you, Karen Lewis? You know, when I met Karen, she was selling trinkets and little posters and things for elementary schools. She was a fundraiser. And I said, Karen, you can't sell trinkets the rest of your life when you've got this gospel burning in your heart. Praise God you believed that word. Took action. And yeah, you've raised some people from the dead. Thank you, Karen. And some of you, Jesus has plans for you. Miracles that yet await your hands because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the book of Revelation ends with these words about the laity. The laity, it says of a movement of passing from one to another to multiply. It says in Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. You got it? I tell you the Gospel. You hear it, and now you pass it on and you say, Come. And this is what we got to think about is we're training faithful men and women who will then train others. And that's the way multiplication works. We're not just seeking baptisms. We're looking for faithful men who can multiply. Faithful women who, who will engage in this business as well. Can you imagine here if, I don't know who's the wealthy people of Minnesota. In Nebraska we have Warren Buffett. Come on, come on. Can you match it? Can you match it? Pillsbury is here. What if he calls you up and says, I'd like to ha- have a meeting with you today. You'd be like, wow, this is very interesting. And so he invites you to a really ritzy restaurant, and you're sitting there. He's got this briefcase next to him. And in the midst of the conversation, he says, you know, I've been watching you, and I just, I really feel like you've got potential. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I can't even believe that I'm hearing this. And he's like, Mr. Pillsbury says to you, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about it, and I, I just want to give you something to invest. 
pulls out his briefcase like this, and he sets it there. And he said, I, you, you, you know, you're just like, this briefcase is full of cash. I have seen this in the movies. I know when he pops that thing, this is going to be amazing. Lord, help me not to faint. And so he opens the briefcase. You hear that sound. And then he pulls out from his briefcase a potato. <laughs> and he says, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and I want to give you this. This spuds for you. <laughs> Tears begin streaming down your face. <laughs> you know, a potato is just a simple thing. But you, he says, I want in one year, you're going to check in with me, and I want a return on my investment. You go home, you're mad, you're angry, and then you think maybe this is a test. Maybe, maybe he's got something bigger in mind for me. It's just a test. What could I do with this potato? I could boil this potato. <laughs> I could bake this potato. I could fry the potato. I could sell it for French fries. Yeah, that's it. I said, sell. I'm not going to make enough money on that. What could I do? What could I do? You know, I mash the potato. I, I dice the potato. <laughs> You're mind, you know, potato dumplings, potato pancakes. You're thinking about the potato. Now you're just driving home. I got to do something. Mr. Pillsbury's counting on me. And then it comes to you. You're staring eye to eye with a potato. That's it. It's in the eyes. That's it. I got to plant the potato. And so you get home and you carefully cut the potato in pieces. And now you go out and you're in your pajamas digging in the backyard. Your wife's like, what are you doing out there? You're like, I got to get this thing growing. Mr. Pillsbury is waiting for me. And so you plant every eye. And you know what? That potato starts to sprout. It starts to grow. And it becomes your passion. You think about it day and night because you're going to multiply that thing. Several months go by. And you dig up the potatoes. You got 18 potatoes. Oh, let's do it. You catch it. This is the pleasing thing to the Lord. Invest. And you know what about every one of those 18 potatoes? They have the potential to grow. You're not going to eat that thing. You're going to plant that thing because they got eyes as well. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Jesus says about the seed. Oh, you got me in the wrong chapter. It's in John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Ellen White in Christ Object Lessons says, The law of self-sacrifice is the law of self-preservation. The farmer preserves the wheat by casting it to die. The life that is spent on self is like the grain that is eaten. I got one potato. Should I eat it? Should I boil it? 
you got one life to live. What's Jesus talking about dying? We die to self. Our time, our night, our, our interest in the movies, our interest in the shows. No, die to self. Let Jesus come in. And that man who rose from the tomb, he will rise to life in you. And then the power of the name of Jesus, that silver name, Christ, Christ, will change the people around you. The atmosphere. You know, there's a text in Corinthians that talks about the aroma of Christ. Christ comes into our life and there's just this, this fragrance, this aroma that has a power to convert. Hallelujah. This is where we must come to, my friends, is an appreciation for the death of self that others may live. I just close with this in summary. What is the law of the faithful man or woman? Because that's really what the parable is all about, is how to be faithful, right? Jesus wants a steward that takes his words faithfully and does business, gets down to business. Faithful steward agitates, speculates, and replicates. What does he agitate? You know, Ellen White uses that word in, in uh, gospel workers. Agitate, agitate, agitate. She's, she's talking about you get in and make some action. You think about your territory. You think about your friends, your neighbors. You get down on your knees. You agitate for what it is that God has put that dream in you. you. Where do we use that word modern days? We think about a washing machine. It's going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. It's agi the agitation, right? Well, this is, this is you. Be restless for the kingdom of God. Second thing a faithful man or woman does is they speculate. Where do we use that word speculate? It, it's take a risk, right? So not everything is clear, cut and dried. Whether you're going to knock on that person's door, it's, it's an unknown whether they're going to be kind or rude to you. You've got to speculate. You've got to take some risks for the Lord. You've got that little seed money that you've been saving, and you, you don't know, should I put that in, into tracts and books to give out? Should I put it into missions to be able to help the Sudanese in Minneapolis? Hey, speculate. Gamble a little bit on God. And thirdly, to replicate. To reproduce oneself. That's all Jesus asks. Is could you replicate yourself? Be a passionate person. In love with Jesus. I'm not asking you to go out and, and have a big evangelistic crusade. Just replicate yourself. That's the beauty of what Jesus created when he, he left. There's an interesting quote here. Uh, looking for it by William Barclay. Does anybody know William Barclay? He's a British commentator, Bible teacher. He says this, If any man has a vision, his immediate problem is how to turn that vision into a reality. That is precisely the problem Jesus faced. He had to lead men home to God. How was he going to do it? He goes on to talk about how just as Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross and die... That was going to solve one problem, the sin problem. He figured it out. I will go to the cross and die. But he had another problem. How am I going to get that salvation message past 2,000 years 
of satanic attack. And he figured out that one. I'm going to plant this in 12 men. 12 men who will reproduce themselves and those people will reproduce themselves. That's it. The plan of discipleship was as powerful and important to the gospel as the cross. It may not be a surprise to us that Jesus knew from the beginning He would die and that He would raise to life, but Jesus also knew from the beginning that He needed men who would touch men how to be fishers of other men. Jesus was so far-sighted. And so that's our call. Will you be fishers of men? Jesus wants fishers of men. So I make that appeal. In closing, if that's your desire, to make a commitment right here to one another to say, let's meet here next year and see if I could find just one other person that I could reproduce and pour myself into. Would you commit to that? If that's your commitment, I invite you to stand to your feet right now and make a pledge to heaven. Jesus I commit myself to be a discipler. I will agitate. I will speculate. Jesus, it's up to you if I will replicate. I pray, Jesus, that you would give me one person that I could pour my heart into. I would teach them how to pray. And that, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? I would teach them how to study the Bible. Lord, would you teach me? Father, that I would teach them how to to witness to others. Father, I, I need to know that myself. Lord, this year I commit to you my growth and my multiplication. That when you come and you ask of me that I will be able to show you my product, and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, I will. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.